1: For free shipping and three hundred and sixty-five-day returns.
2: Hello and welcome to the WWE Payback Review. I'm Michael Hamsford from What Culture and I'm joined by Michael Sidric from What Culture to discuss everything that happened at Saturday's premium live event. But first, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only preview and review premium live events, but also Raw, SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT 2.0, Dynamite Collision, pay-per-views, we hold wrestler interviews, have roundtable discussions, and a round-up of, this week. roundup of the week, not this week, but soon, complete with a bloody quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. Sidge for a variety of reasons, some of which we'll get into on another podcast today, um... Payback was flying under the radar on this busy wrestling weekend. But what were your overall thoughts before we get into the show in a bit more detail?
3: Um, Well, I've got two things, right? In and of itself, the card went exactly as I thought it would. Mm -hmm. That's not a good thing because I don't think it looked that great on paper. Yeah. And it averaged out because pretty much everything went exactly as I thought it would except one over-delivery and one under-delivery, mm. and that averaged out, basically. Yeah. My personal experience of viewing this show was affected because I got up on the Sunday morning at about five, again, to preempt the kids waking up, so I would have usually watched it on the Sunday night, but obviously I had to get um, in bed early yeah. to watch AEW All Out, um, which is fine. Uh Better than getting up to watch Raw. I'll say that much. So I was <laughs> like, oh, I yeah, watched some WWE, you know, the PLEs are usually good. Um and then obviously the, the bombshell dropped that the bunker mm-hmm. had been fired. Um so I watched it while I was on my phone, basically. Um good litmus test for how to be honest, I could have watched friggin' Blade Runner and been glued to my phone this entire time. So I watched it. I did try very much to put the phone down. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's maybe a realistic or at least universal way of looking at it. Um, was it Barrios, Triple H, or Nick Kahn, or someone who said we're competing with sleep?
2: Uh, yeah,
3: that feels like a Nick Kahnism, but I'm I sure George Triple Barrios H.
2: has something to do with that as
3: well. Yeah, whichever one it was, whichever yeah. suit, whichever dickhead. <laughs> um, what people or competing with is being terminally online and just with your phone in your hand. Mm. And sometimes even during dynamite, I've just like my mind will wander and I like, oh Christ, I'm reviewing this, I'll have to watch it back. And I did watch some of Thingy Back, but I like at the best of times you're competing with your phone and having every bit of information, the fear of missing out the real fear of actually absorbing this information yeah. that doesn't really have much to do with you. So it was difficult to watch. Go on, I hope, amuse, amusing anecdote about my experience of being glued to the phone. So the, the I guess the, the, the real test is, is something so great that you would happily put your phone down for the 2% of X or Twitter, that's funny, and pay attention to the show that grabs you? The show didn't particularly grab me. And even when I watched the bits back that I kind of missed... It was a 6.5 out of 10. You saw of giving me a bit of a
2: segue on that second screen thing there because I was all kind of queued up and ready to watch Payback live. and then, You stay up with the cereal? Yeah. And then the... It's just fed, man. It's class. And then the punk news does drop and then I'm obviously more wired than I already was to watch the show. It was a Saturday night, obviously, as well. Allowed a bit of a sleeping on the Sunday morning. But um, the reality of that punk news and what you could get what you could draw from it in terms of what you're going to see on screen, was pretty much covered in the first three minutes of Collision. I, I had Payback ready to go, and then obviously the Tony Khan's face appearing at the start of Collision kind of made that must-see. But this sort of does bring us to the opener of Payback, because where I thought all of a sudden this was going to have to be a bit of a Wednesday Night War throwback and think I'm going to have to watch both of these, because there's simply too much going on to be able to avoid one or the other. It was made pretty easy for me because Cusion yeah. slotted straight back into its kind of normal, if in my opinion, kind of humdrum like form of late. While Becky Lynch and Trish Stratus I couldn't believe this. Like clawed victory from the jaws of what, months worth of defeats yeah. basically, in the Steel Cage match opener. Um this was somehow the match that Becky Lynch versus Trish Stratus versus Trish Stratus like should have been on paper as a feud all along. They got it right at the very, very end and how um, it went about 20 minutes. It was a fight, a proper, gritty, you know, like blood and thunder without the blood, ultimately fight between... The blood as well. Yeah, like between two veterans who weren't afraid to lay in, who weren't afraid to try and um, sell you the stakes of what this story has been when so few of those have appeared on television. I think we were both... Like, we both had praise and we had time for the Becky Lynch uh, Zoe Stark brawl on Raw. Yeah. but that there was the, the cloud of the Bray Wyatt passing kind of hung over that one, whereas this was more just about the feud and about the fiction, and I just I couldn't get over just how well worked and how well crafted this was. Trish Stratus was credited for years as being one of the generals, somebody that grew into that role in that division that got so little love in the early 2000s, and there was a lot of that here. Like, there was a tribute that a lot of people spotted to Victoria with the Widow's Peak. Trish, uh, Becky Lynch responded in kind with the um, twist of fate, yeah. which was obviously a tribute to both Victoria and Lita having the first women's cage match on Raw, but obviously Lita was integral to the start of all this yeah. in a cage match where Trish made a return at the start of all the storyline. So it was kind of putting a bow on that. Then you just had the jaw-dropping athletic feats of a Trish Stratus doing that falling back, Devil May Care bump onto the side of the cage, taking a flat back. That was
3: unbelievable. At a
2: vertical angle on the side of a steel cage. What was great about that was you could see her feet were locked into the girder at the top of the cage, but it's nonetheless just the riskiest thing going, because if her feet slip out, she's just dropping headfirst to the floor. Yeah. Like, the guts on that were incredible. I'm
3: very surprised they allowed it.
2: I know. It definitely felt like one of them, didn't it? Trish worked the bulk of the match with just like a golf ball-sized bruise in the middle of her head, which put over those early shots as Becky were, was running a pillar to post with the steel cage. Um, look, it's a WWE cage match. Zoe Stark gets in to run interference, but ultimately that interference backfires, and Becky Lynch is able to take her out, dispose of her, and get the win with a manhandle slam. Um, that's going to be the show, by the way. We'll probably not run through it chronologically spot by spot because we're working off memories from Saturday. But... Um, not only was that the end of this feud between Becky and Trish, but it seems like it's the end of Trish's business because she kind of went out the right way, putting over Stark, as she's tried to do throughout this program, by taking a finisher at the very end. Like, what a staggeringly good bit of business this was. And if you'd only read about Trish Stratus' 2023, you'd be full of praise for all over again, wouldn't you? Yeah,
3: this was, I can't recall, and yes, I get, you know, undone by a recency bias at times, right? I can't recall a salvage job Mm. on this level ever. And that is because I have been so incredibly low on all of this since day one, basically. Like, it's one of those returns that you're just undoing your legacy. Yeah, You are exposing the level you are at. You're not just coming back and not being great. You are coming back and wondering what the big deal was. And you are coming back if you're Trish Stratus and you are kind of exposing that you were better than the rest as opposed to great Mm. because it's not just the, you know, Jesus Christ, I'm a dad bod, 37-year-old who got gassed having a kickabout with my son (laughs) on a football pitch yesterday. So it all comes from that place, all the caveats. But like, it's one thing to not be as sharp as you were physically, but if Trish was as good, and this is, again, I've made this point, This program only ever works if you can show what the company's telling that you're a legend. Mm -hmm. And it's one thing for her to not be physically what she was, but to not be able to have a level of craft and smoke and mirrors and to not be able to, you know, do some really cool masterful vet stuff in the spaces between moves. I saw none of that from Trish Stratus from what WrestleMania to now. Yeah. Um, or whatever it was then, she made the return, particularly since in the Rumble she was really good. Mm -hmm. Like, she had such a presence in those Rumble cameos, I thought she'd really exposed where she was at. Jesus Christ, she was incredible in this match. Like, that is one of the best over-deliveries ever. That bump is going to be iconic, rightfully so, so committed. But you said the word craft earlier. This is one of those matches that I just love where... You can tell a lot of care and effort has gone into it. But by the same measure, you can't see them ticking off the boxes. It feels immersive. It feels like they're in a war. Basically, it felt really rough, this, Mm -hmm. but in the best possible way. And just considering how rough is the word, some of her stuff has looked, I can't think of a more inch-perfect superplex bump.
2: Oh, it was gorgeous. Where it
3: was like she could not have landed on the... Larger surface area of her back with more inch, no, millimeter perfect precision to the point where you capture all of the danger and you just kind of know it's perfect at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, I've got no complaints with the interference that might be because I've been conditioned to just expect it when they tell you to not expect it, which is an insult to my intelligence. Um, But I, they went a long time and kept my interest, like, I put down the phone for the vast majority of this when the biggest bombshell of the air just dropped. And if you would have told me a week ago you would do that during Trish Stratus versus Becky Lynch, which has been an overwhelming dud of a mm. program, like, that not just a bad thing in and of itself, but, like, pretty much legacy-destroying legacy stuff, legacy-destroying stuff. If you had that image in your mind of Trish Stratus, It has changed irrevocably since she made the return and it's now gone all the way back again. The fan cam footage of her telling that fan to shut the F up as well. Amazing. Oh my God. That, she just felt like she was just in the mood. Had no time for the doubters. Knew exactly that she was going to turn it on. I can't speak highly enough of this match.
2: It really struck me halfway through this, just how much I still really quite deeply care for Becky Lynch and I was starting to pity her in this feud all the wrong emotions for a character like the man and like that baby face character that she portrays not only was I not believing it but I was starting to see something that she wasn't even attempting to portray yeah. so I'm hoping off the back of this as you say like it has come in one match all the way back around so Becky Lynch should have been like elevated by this throughout gradually segment by segment instead she's been elevated by the power of this match yeah. and let's it's almost as if Well, we got where we needed to and now she moves on to the next thing, having vanquished Trish Stratus and kind of like taken her place. You just have to... It's incredible how much you have to men in black yourself for like almost three months of work.
3: Well, that's the thing, right? I When I watched Payback, particularly this match, not really the rest, Mm. even though there was one great match elsewhere, and all in and all out, I have this weird... Like... Crisis is way too strong a word. Think of a softer synonym of crisis, right? Because I'm watching just some of the effort and the detail and the craftsmanship of some of these blow-off matches. And you think, I get this feeling bone deep when I'm watching them just strut their stuff on this pay-per-view PLE stage. Do I need to be less exacting in my criticisms when I'm watching on TV? How could it be so good? And is the key difference just the wrestlers wrestling and being great at their job? Is the booking that bad or should it be a bit kinder? Should I realize that maintenance is needed after all. I notice the the magic, the discrepancy between the magic I feel at a weekend mm. and the humdrum I feel midweek. I don't think it's ever been as stark. I, I mean, there's going to be more of that in the
2: all out yes. podcast as well, isn't there? Yeah, probably on this feed. You listen to it now. Uh, you've talked a lot about whether or not you were looking at your phone oh, or not. Oh yeah. Um, John Cena was out next to talk about being the guest host for payback. That was announced as part of his SmackDown return on Friday. Um, and he was just doing his usual sort of hot-dogging thing, and then he revealed, um, as The Miz came out to interrupt him, uh, and they had their like long-tenured back-and-forth at this point, that he was going to be the guest referee for LA Knight versus The Miz, which was up next. Um, and this kind of became a triple threat, it's not the word, but you were kind of asked to focus equally on all three men, very weirdly here. And in order to do that, WWE and Triple H or whoever elected to slap an extra like seven or eight minutes on a match that an extra ten barely had the well yeah barely had the potential to achieve more than a fiver on television. Um LA Knight defeats the Miz uh in a match that was, I think personally, too much in the way Tedious. of it, too much in the way of exposing what LA Knight can't do rather than illustrating what he can. But try to hide that by having him constantly confront John Cena. And at no point, which I think is a benefit. At no point cower in the sheer aura of John Cena, or like he kind of refused to get overwhelmed as Austin Theory did earlier this year, as Roman Reigns infamously did in that disastrous 2017 promo exchange, and Baron Corbin in the Cowboy Hat match. LA Knight refused, whether in character or as a shoot, and there was almost a bit of a meta commentary running throughout this of John Cena was getting in his face and like telling him ease up listen to my count of five. And then he drop a little line like, you ain't ready. And we've known...
3: absolutely loves this, John Cena. We've
2: known Cena
3: to do that. Maybe, you've sh- only, maybe these people would be ready if you didn't <laughs> portray them as geek dickheads on the television program. Well, this is the thing.
2: We've known him do that as a shoot, right? And yet him doing it here kind of forced LA Knight to... Just push him to one side and brush him past. I, I refuse to accept what are telling me. Such is the power of my incredible charisma. I think that was the story, but do it in five, not fifteen, because the work just wasn't there. I think the overall presentation of it of this failed LA night because the match was simply too dull. It was the worst version of itself with this odd John Cena story tacked on. There was no good version of this match, and then you well, Which what you why book it? What you got at the end was John Cena taking the referee shirt off to acknowledge LA Knight arm in the air for the, you know, the moment that you can see on the WWE 24 special in a year yeah. from now when LA Knight's getting his title shot. And LA Knight uh, hesitates at first and then gradually shakes John Cena's hand. I would love to know from anybody in the building because I noticed as LA Knight was celebrating John Cena twice – whisper something in the Miz's ear. He's never been shy about getting his message out there in matches. And I do wonder if when we cut to the video package that followed this match, if Cena made the Miz stay out there so he could like, hit him with the ear. Because that's like just John Cena Miz. Yeah. Like textbook stuff, isn't it? Always got to get one over the Miz. But um, yeah, I think WWE genuinely felt like they were trying to do right by early night here and missed the mark by quite a wide margin.
3: I did not consider that take. And I really don't hate it at all. I think it's quite astute. This was so drab when John Cena wasn't there, and when he was, I was just so distracted. <laughs> like, he's <laughs> such a
2: just... giant, pissy baby thing, isn't it? Like, you just, I just <laughs> hate him. He <laughs> steals so much
3: focus. He's just, him. I just do not like watching him. Never have. The codes, on rare cages. Oh, man, like, could get you tingling, couldn't it? It could. Be? It could. That's the thing. In the best possible spots, mostly when he's going against my favorites, that's the magic Mm. of John Cena, where I'm allowed to hate him, or it's acknowledged that, you know, there might be someone on par, or who you like more. My God, 16 friggin' minutes of this. Unforgivable. Um, Every time John Cena wasn't acting with LA Knight, it was your great... Savage put down of the quintessential WWE TV match. There are just some moves happening in front of me and the fans don't really care. Mm. Like everything was so flat. Everything was in this same tedious gear. There was no snap. It was, it was one of those matches where it's so much easier because it was nothing to say what it wasn't. It wasn't snug. It wasn't dynamic. It didn't build. It didn't escalate. Like a lot of the work just looked rehearsal tier. Like, Laura Knight has
2: pilled Mr. Kennedy work.
3: <laughs> yes, just they are in the same gear. It's methodical. There's no real animosity. There is no emotion. There's no flash. There's nothing to this whatsoever. I struggle to form a thought other than I'm bored and I'm looking at punk news on my <laughs> phone as I watch this or rather barely watch it. And it's one of those, I was like, do I go back and watch this and be fair? Or did I get the gist from listening to it? Um, a bad, bad night for LA Knight, even with the Cena involvement, even if they were telling a nice story, that, as you said, was a meta-acknowledgement of, this was like a better endorsement in theory than the handshake at yeah. the end. Dad got nothing out of this. Um a bad night for LA night and a bad bit of matchmaking because the promo battles were always going to be really fun and they were and they were rightfully praised. You don't book this when you know it defines, epitomizes and then the bell rang. Like, you asked me about my philosophical difference between AEW and WWE last week and mm-hmm. this is a great, very timely example of it. If AEW are booking this, right, they are stepping it up, they, the miss is probably a manager for a better worker. You uh-huh. do the exact same promos, but he's got a guy repre- that he's representing. Given his age and his limited range of movement, mobility, and the, he's got no snap either, really. Look at how AEW presents agents, allows him to work. Jeff Jarrett. Mm-hmm. How is his stuff so much more entertaining and lively than this when he's got so many years on that? barometer. Is that, that it? it? Milometer, whatever it's called. I don't yeah. drive. It's still it's still clotheslines and headlocks more than anything else, isn't yes, it? Yes, yeah. but they do add-ons. They have managers. They have seconds. They have stables. They have all these smoke and mirrors tricks to make Jeff Jarrett matches feel so animated and lively and entertaining. Like, it, this just reminded me how cheap and sterile this company is and how much of a lack of thought courses through it to its detriment. Like, have some fun with this. Like, maximize the positives hide the negatives instead they just put the negatives on show for an unreasonably long amount of time i don't know what you do like you are paying a team of agents like a combined seven figures easily i would Mm. say there's loads of them and they've got to be on six figures or at least 90k yeah there is a million dollars of potential ideas right and this cost zero dimes (laughs) <laughs> you know what i mean yeah what are they getting paid for if they can't in wwe no less which is meant to be the height of bollocks the height of distraction and loud noises and all the rest of it how have they put this on a ple especially when la knight has got as over as he has mm. maybe and i'm not saying la Knight's that bad because he's a star and maybe that know, i'm first. not sure
2: this has answered the question Like another month, another month passes, and I
3: still don't know where the. He's never had a
2: good match. Like nobody is, everybody is saying, everybody is saying, you got to push LA Knight, but nobody's being specific about the level with which you push him to. Because I
3: don't think anybody knows, and
2: this continues to not really answer the
3: question. Yeah, nah, inconclusive. He can't work a good match, (laughs) and he's put in a position to work the most nothing match ever. That is bad booking. Victory lap for the Dadleys next,
2: Sig because we both agreed that basically the wrong man was in the middle of the right story, that being Austin Theory getting his rematch against Rey Mysterio for the United States title. As routine a title defense as you'll ever see from a Rey Mysterio. Why? Because he's in there with the most routine wrestler ever. Another guy that just is not it, and I wonder if by losing your rematch for your lost secondary title, this is WWE admitting defeat and they will yet... I mean, he's a guy in Austin Theory that... You will go back to, this company will go back to the drawing board with. He is one of those yeah. guys.
3: He'll get chance after chance after chance.
2: Yeah. Um, the commentary halfway through this match, I recall, Corey Graves being like, has anybody ascended quicker? <laughs> this is so funny. Has anybody ascended quicker than Austin Theory? That's just one of those generic yeah. WB copy lines about saying a guy, you know, that's just risen through the ranks at an incredible rate. And Michael Cole was like, nobody, Corey, except one. Randy Orton, and it's like he's another guy that would just go through years at a time of being dishwater dull before having five hot minutes so like, that's Austin Theory's lot in life expect us in 20 years, hopefully if we're still doing this, as even more cantankerous versions of ourselves, we'll be talking about 20 years I've been watching Austin Theory have Austin Theory matches.
3: Austin Theory could work for a million years and not do what Randy Orton has done in this Bears Nair. <laughs> and, and I don't even like what he's done in this Bears Nair.
2: <laughs> but uh, here was another one that, you know, maybe it was bland on purpose because you've had plenty of time to see the Cinnamon Toast Crunch branding around kidding? the ring on the big screen. Like, got there and uh, bore the tits off them guys because there's a uh, $50 million cereal advertisement here. Because now what happened? And. Um, I mentioned nothing happened in the match because all that matters was what happened afterwards. Rey Mysterio wins in, like I say, a routine television defence for Rey Mysterio that happened to take place on a PLE. And then the LWO come back out and Sanos Santos celebrates by putting Rey Mysterio on his shoulders. Uh, just like you always said. Just like we always said in these exact storyline. Not only that, uh, the vest law. Did you pick this up as Rey was walking to the ring? I did not. Ray was back in an entrance vest. that Michael Cole, New Japan and Progress devotee Michael Cole, explained to us the last time he wore it was when he was teaming with his son, but he's had the stitching change to scratch out Dominic's name. So now he's... uh, Because he's got a new son. Yes, Santos Escobar, and that cannot possibly go wrong. I think this is great, and I think it's hot, and I think the matches are going to rule, but it is such a shame that we had to sit through a 10-minute Austin Theory match in order to continue this on because that visual was... Had me fizzing.
3: I think it was six, but I just fell ten. Is it six minutes, this. And I'll Maybe Wiki's wrong. I'll pull up a match time. Because and I was, I was interested out. in how long this match went, and I'll tell you why. So I've just watched um, LA Night in the Miz. Half watched it. All right. I go on my phone for my sins. I am sorry. I am meant to be a professional. 9.45. But you know, I did a news video about the CM Punker news, so I had to be informed on that as well. Mm-hmm. 945. 940. That makes it even more unfathomable because <laughs> legitimately, I'm on. I'm looking at the takes. I'm refreshing. Has the punker hopped on Instagram yet and said, hey, all I'm saying is that Tony Khan threw a monitor at himself <laughs> to make me look bad because I'm great? Like, what has he said? Yeah. What has he said? I swear to God.
2: It'd be like a picture of James Dean riding out of town. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, Yeah.
3: yeah. I swear to God. I was either so unmoved by what was happening on the TV, which I watched, by the way. I wasn't like, um, it wasn't, my couch is opposite my TV lengthways. So when I lie on my back and it's in the corner of my eye, I sat up and watched it, phone screen phone screen phone screen i thought this was a squash match <laughs> it registered with me so like on it just didn't register me registered with me mm-hmm. to such an extent that i blinked and missed it i just thought it was a squash match because literally nothing that austin theory was doing in that ring that i watched through a television screen registered with me to literally any level that even though it was the white, the, how big's my telly? 42 inches or something. And mm-hmm. it's a pretty small living room. So it takes up a lot of my peripheral vision. Yeah. Absolutely nothing was striking <laughs> or interesting or good that I was like, oh, like, oh, that caught my eye. That was a cool move. Or, oh God, the crowd really bought on that near fall. Or, oh my God, the crowd are really hating
0: Austin Theater.
4: A try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp,
3: H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. in this heat sequence to the point where even the noises, it was like virtual silence. Then I heard the bell. Yeah. I, I... He's the most... No, I, The most nothing wrestler of all time. Do you think it's H- un... but I don't get it.
2: Do you think Triple H sticks with him because it's him before he had China? Triple H was fundamentally sound, but he was never getting over until China. No, no, never,
3: never, never. And people should remember this. Yeah,
2: like, had a good look. I'm, half a gimmick.
3: Again, recency bias. Theories, like, wide of my brain. I'm trying to think. Is there anyone in history where I thought... Why? Why are you going with him? (laughs) Let's think of some recent and historical examples, right? Roman Reigns. Incredibly handsome. Mm -hmm. Pretty awesome explosive power game when he's in the shield. When he's a baby face and they're going with him, I understand it. He's so marketable. He's so fit. Like, he's really good as a baby face in the ring. He's obviously literally everyone not named Vince McMahon and Bruce Pritchard knew was woefully miscast mm. but you knew why they went with him you just couldn't fathom why they went that route with him yeah um, pff, I got blinded by the Kennedy lights same that baritone that catchphrase yep. that desert of
2: first guy to call his shot for a wrestling yeah I got I got and it and with commitment, him commitment you know
3: Scorpio Sky is the AEW example where a lot of people see him do things on collision or whatever and you think why? You kind of know at this point it ain't going to happen. Mm. If it was going to happen, it would have happened already. And then he had that woeful TNT title reign. He still cracked me up on more than one occasion when he was in SCU. Still works some great tag matches for his time. Like, does some stuff that I think is really cool and snappy. But, what has Austin Thieber, what has he ever done? I've seen nothing in him other than he's vaguely composed and telegenic when he's on the microphone, I guess, and Mm -hmm. his fundamentals in terms of, he's probably safe as houses. He's got the odd, cool PWG move. But who doesn't, man? Yeah. Who doesn't? I will never, ever in my life get what they think he could be. You know when you see like a wrestler you like and you think, why aren't they going with him? Mm-hmm and then you see CM Punk in 2007 and 2008 and you think I love him wisdom that you accrue years later you go back and you see a guy who is not doesn't have the look that he has in the straight edge society he doesn't have that bite that he has in 2011 yeah and you go and you with maturity comes wisdom and all the rest of it you go back and you watch the punker in those woeful matches with Johnny Nitro mm-hmm. You see him be good, not great, as a babyface in two thousand and eight. W W delivery. He's a bit too caustic with it as well, in a way that is him but isn't. And you know, you with all of that wisdom that comes later, you go back and watch him in two thousand seven and two thousand eight and you go, That's why they didn't go with him then. That's why they were tentative, because he clearly isn't the guy he thinks he is then. Mm. And you can actually understand the really condescending Triple H speak about him and stuff like that. Do you know what I'm getting at with this? But you can understand why they made that decision. I could live to be 100 (laughs) and I'll never get why they think the inverse is true of theory and why they think to put so much TV time and resources and money behind him. Like, I cannot see one single thing about Austin Theory, where it's like, oh, he's miscast, or, or he would excel in AEW. If he would just go to AEW mm. or New Japan, maybe I just can't, will never get it as long as I live. And I'm not, be, this is really harsh. It ain't just me. Like, I'm pretty sure everyone thinks this. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it feels like that's been evidenced in some of the
2: booking of this character over the last year as well, doesn't it? Maybe Triple H to a point, in thinking, I don't think Triple H can make his mind up yeah. on him. The one the only answer to that query would be I remember in his latter evolved days slash very early NXT days, a lot of people were going, he's like kind of a Randy Orton guy, isn't he? Yeah. And I remember that then getting said a lot. And maybe
3: WWE are clinging to that. I'll tell a lie. Before I don't we feel it, before we don't. move on, right? People liked how he was portraying himself in like the way, right? Um there's a certain dumb ass charm a naivety. Congratulations, he can do second match comedy, maybe. Mm-hmm. Even then his work is just totally bog bloody standard.
2: Yeah. I don't know. I don't know, like I say it it does need to be recovered, but maybe that's not the crack now. Maybe Austin Theory just floats around in the mid card. He's lost his rematch at his title. He's like, he's not going to be a concern, and I will say that in WWE, when you're not a concern, that's sometimes when you can do your best work because your story is so unimportant that, like, the best thing for Austin Theory now would be to find his place in that, like, um, that NXT, what's that? I've forgotten the name, NXT Redemption-type mold where, like, suddenly he just gets a bit weird yeah, and he develops a bit of a cult following doing his weird thing and then, and then one time after that, he has a good match with this new weird character, and people are like, you've been sleeping on Austin Theory. Yeah. And then everybody says, do you not remember that match he had with the edge And And then they just trail off because there was no more. Yeah. But that's it. I think that's, his, that's maybe his route out of this limbo. He hasn't got a route out <sighs> of I don't know, yeah. Really curious to get your thoughts on this, because we haven't discussed this over the desks this morning. I would classify this next match as about as WWE presentation as you're going to get from a weapons brawl, the type of which I know from talking to you at length about Stadium Stampede, you are predisposed to loving if done well. But I know this was very fed heavy in its presentation. I no, thought it was great. And yet I thought it kicked ass. Yeah, it was kicked sudden, ass. It kicked ass. Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn lose the uh, WWE tag team titles to Damien Priest and Finn Balor representing the Judgment Day with the help of, and the crucial help, as it turned out, of J.D. McDonough. Um... First of all, I want to shout out that for the first time ever, after years of AEW making use of it, we got the terrible towel. Where was that? Forever. Until AEW made you realise what a cool visual prop that was. Finn Balor standing on it and stepping on it felt like something. How have we not seen that in AEW? This towel's been around and he's stepping on it. It's great. Um, It's all weapon stuff split into kind of three areas. So you've got the initial brawl at the start of the match. Then you've got the stuff where they go off into the crowd um, and Owens and Zane are thrown into a penalty box when Dominic Mysterio makes his presence felt, and it's suddenly a, a three-on-two advantage. They emerge out of the penalty box like the Bulldog and Sting surviving the bomb that Cheaton put on the boat. Yeah. They come out of the sea, arms up, hey, action heroes. They are action heroes in, what was it, the Pittsburgh Penguins hockey jerseys. Yeah. Couldn't have been any more for the local audience, but as a result, got this absolutely enormous bieb, and they brawl back around the building. You get Kevin Owens, Doing, we talked about this. Like, what contraption would he create? Not a very intricate one, but no less dangerous for it. A swanton bomb from a balcony through a table. You got that. the button. Uh, put in, it was, was it, was it Mysterio that he put through the table or Finn Balor? It doesn't really matter. The swanton bomb, the arch of which was gorgeous, almost overshot it, truthfully, and kind of went through uh, both wrestler and table with his head and neck. But WWE, like, God damn, best in class when they're on the day. That shot from
3: Mm. underneath. New Japan are best in class on their worst day compared to WWE.
2: But that shot from underneath. That was good. It was very, very good. Behind the move. So like that bump, that pain that Owens will have been in the next day will at least have been rewarded by getting to see that specific shot of it because it looked absolutely stunning. That pretty much takes you back to the ring where Kevin Owens, who's wearing the crimson mask at this point, I should point out earlier on in the match, he torn off the KO t-shirt to reveal a Terry Funk one. It was clear that he wanted this, and all of them, I suppose, wanted this to be a fitting tribute to Terry Funk as a hardcore sort of exhibition. And we certainly got that. So we're kind of getting down to the nitty gritty. um, And at this point, JD McDonough makes his presence felt by pulling... Was it pulling Sami Zayn off a up upon the referee out? He's finally, like, made a difference, even if his interference wasn't necessarily asked for. And then, when it looks like the baby faces will still prevail, of course, because they've been going back and forth with the judgment day a couple of months on Raw now, it's Rhea Ripley, as always, the difference maker, the one that said on Raw, look, get your heads together like, get in the fight, or I guess I'm going to have to do it for you. And there she was to do it for him. Just drills Owens with a killer spear. Um, he goes through into the barricade, um, leaving Sami Zayn all alone, again, to fight off all the force of the Judgment Day. can it get it done in the end. He's the one that loses the match and loses the tag belts. Um, I think this is what we wanted, wasn't it? Like, you can see that was the cracks time. are there in the Judgment Day, but the belts are the perfect way to paper those cracks. And with JD McDonough having such a um integral role in them winning the belts. I'm sure they're not gonna want to induct him formally, but it kind of feels like they're lining them up to be part of the war games, the inevitable war games match against Rawls. Yeah. Babyface Quartet to take them on. I thought this was electrifying stuff. I
3: thought this was great. Genuinely great. Um I don't know if it's I think it's my love of the Simpsons golden era in Twin Peaks. And I made this comparison when I was writing up um stadium stampede in an article you can still read on whatculture.com slash wwe um, entitled 10 reasons why aew was still the king of pro wrestling like there's a bit of dare i say it, aew energy to this even mm-hmm. though it was a very wwe production at the same time yeah. the ability to do like this really cool total mishmash where one element doesn't detract from the next this is goofy and fun where did they get the jerseys from who cares <laughs> a bit of irreverence never hurt anyone and then it was violent, and he got this absolutely unhinged stunt from Kevin Owens that, in a ghoulish way, kind of looks better for not being perfect. Yeah. Just puts it over the level of commitment. Um, obviously, you want him to be okay. You don't want to have his coccyx the next day, but, you know, any kind of, oh, he's okay, but it looked bad and good mm. violence. I'm just kind of a ghoul for. Um, and then you still got the big-time drama. It was like a great house show match and a great... Pay per view match all rolled into one. And this is what I was talking about. Like WWE should do more add ons and bollocks. They should do way more of it. I understand you can't do too much on one show, but at least give it to, like LA Night in the Miz for Christ's sake. Yeah, um, because this was exhilarating, fun, violent. If you're into the story, I'm not that much emotional. I guess like it mattered. It was meaning like meaningful and stupid. At the same time, and those two things didn't cross the streams. Speaking of meaningful
2: and stupid, I think this, I'd like to think this classifies as that. So we're not going to do a raw preview today. We won't have the time, unfortunately. All out pay per view review on your feed as you listen to this. And, list. and, and the news. And the list each. Indeed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've done loads of content. Don't get me wrong. We just, as a result, can't fit a raw on preview. On whatculture.com
3: slash WWE and YouTube and what Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from. It's all there.
2: Google it. Meaningful and stupid. The Judgment Day turning those blue and red belts purple on Raw tonight. I mean, keep
4: in Oh, my God.
2: Like, the shot of them all with the gold and the briefcase, they've got the lot. Everything is fine in the Judgment Day, and it's great because it's not, is it? Yeah. But now this is how wrestling works. You get to see them make it seem like everything is fine, and then we get to see all the little cracks keep forming. I also think this was the beginning of the end of Zayn and Owens again. I tweeted this, that effect, you could do a nice War Games turn between the two of them. Zayn versus Owens is a very Triple H WrestleMania 40 singles match, isn't it? Very WrestleMania Yes. Um So I feel like we're on the road to that as well. Um, Grayson Waller effect came next. Uh, Cody Rhodes was the guest. Uh, it was all kind of run the mill and then I, I took this as a bit of a twist, quite honestly. Grayson's taking the piss out of Pittsburgh. Cody is taking the piss out of Grayson Waller a bit. Veered slightly into that last infamous AEW promo, didn't he? Yes. Um, straight out of the performance center. You're going to do great, kid. Keep working on the hip toss. All that kind of stuff. Ruffling the hair. Um and then reveals that he's been pulling some strings backstage with what limited power he's got. He's been watching from afar, and he's brought Jey Uso to Monday Night Raw. Um, if only the
3: draft was a thing, but never mind. It's not. Who cares? Uh,
2: Cody drafts the rosters. Uh, Cody gets... Uh, sorry, Jey Uso gets a massive response, um, and uh, Grayson... Then, sort of like, tried to have a few digs at Jay Uso, and Jay super kicks him. Uh, and, you know, the fans are buzzing to see Jay Uso back. It's only been a couple of weeks that he's been gone, but nonetheless, he got a big call. This is like, I'm not going to say this is like a fantastic bit of booking or anything, but Triple H has kind of done it again, hasn't he? Because Dominic turned on Ray at Clash at the Castle, and Ray begged to go to SmackDown to avoid having to fight his son, and he got them to WrestleMania.
3: Yeah. I. Th- it's happening again, isn't it? It's weird. I don't hate this twist. And it's one of those where I thought, hmm, maybe the Bloodline story isn't completely finished and they've got a fresh idea. It's terrible. it's terrible. Oh my God. What, like, that's the thing though. At least Jay has got a connection with the audience, even though I think his acting subjectively is pretty horrible, <laughs> right? Um, watching Jimmy and Solo oh boy. anchor this thing on Fridays is a big risk. Mm-hmm. A big Big, big risk. Um, Obviously, the draft being what it is, worthless, means that Jay's probably going to be on SmackDown just as often, or kind of going to have to be, because watching Jimmy and Solo anchor this bloodline material is like NWO black and white. <laughs> yeah. With Horace Hogan and The Disciple. And the bloodline B team. Christ almighty.
2: Aye, uh, we'll get to J.U. So tomorrow, I guess, on the Raw review, um, see what he gets up to starting life on Mondays. Right, going to cut to the chase with this. Rhea Ripley defeats Raquel Rodriguez. Uh, women's World title. How was this
3: rubbish? How was this rubbish? I because I've built Raquel Rodriguez.
2: It seems that way. And I was fooled. I was taken in, I guess, by the build. I was trying to work out if fans were just knackered from the um, tag title match, but then the Grace Smaller effect was put in. Mm-hmm. To negate that, you know, that's... I st-
3: can't fault whoever laid this out. No. Big uh, papa, big papa.
2: It was just power offence. Raquel makes comeback, hope spot. Rhea cuts her down again. Raquel makes the final one. Is she going to win? There was nothing nefarious. Dominic Mysterio was there, but Raquel took him out with ease. And, you know, you can say a distraction is a distraction yeah. is a distraction, but I wouldn't say he was integral to kind of making Raquel feel like and she will, it's WWE, but make her feel like, just give, me, just give me one more go. Like, I ran you so close for 20 really boring minutes, so I know I can do it yeah. again and this time get the win. I thought, like, we've seen them batter each other in NXT. WWE lent on some real-life story between these two. I think pre wwe maybe, they'd, like, work together. And obviously, you know, they were of similar stature and they're kind of, in a way, they're kind of vying for that one role. WWE only allows for one, like, monster figure in its women's division. Doesn't yeah. it? and right now, it's, it's these two. I I don't know how this was as bad as it was because I thought even if Raquel wasn't ready, that's kind of what Rhea does. She just elevates this stuff. She has these like hard as nails fights. I thought this had an out.
3: I, again, I have nothing to say about this. (laughs) WWE has got such a knack of, like, just, I cannot explain how nothing, what they do feels like. Yeah. I'm very tired. I'm sorry. It's been a long weekend of early starts. I'm trying to better articulate my thoughts. I felt nothing and struggled to find anything to say. It's one thing where I'd say, like, I don't feel anything for this match for this reason, this reason, this reason. As you said, it was just so nondescript. Mm. It was so structurally like it just looped. It went too long. The fans don't, didn't buy Raquel as a challenger Not Once. once. I think possibly because she's just been her role is smiley person who teams with people randomly. She does not feel like a character. She does not feel like a human being. Um, they haven't built this. They didn't build it badly, but they didn't do enough job. There's no conviction there, and even a well worked match can get a pretty tepid crowd response. This is just nothing, in a lot of it. Yeah, I can't. What else can I say about this? Just no. No one cared. I was among them. The second of... But like they worked hard. Aye, but, like... It still wasn't dynamic or lively or... not. It was nothing. Again, a, nothing. Every wrestler always works hard. I know, I know. That's, that's a thing.
2: where we're at. I would classify this as the second of three matches that got a minimum of five minutes too long um, on this card. And Seth Rollins versus Shinji Nakamura was the third of the three. This really had its moments. Um, Nakamura, as he has been throughout this story, got that, like, awesome... Um, I was going to say animated and I mean anime I? like that awesome anime entrance that's kind of just
3: cartoons as Andy Murray calls
2: yeah. them <laughs> like, yeah yeah he got that awesome Simpsons entrance yeah um, and this was part of this one month rebuild of Nakamura as a threat which I think has been super impressive in segments and was a bit of a let down in the match yeah like Seth Rollins look I will say this for a guy that has been dancing around as some Joker come Elton John come whatever that has gotten him over like never before, Seth Rollins. I have bought in the last month that it turned out all along this guy had Matt Jackson's back. I have just accepted that, right? Yeah. And Nakamura has made a believer out of me. And Seth Rollins has shown weakness just by taking the glasses off and being himself. That is one of the benefits of this character, isn't it? I just take the clown paint off a second and you're a husband and a father. Yeah. And I thought that was quite effective. Um, and they use that uh, to a degree in this match, the back. And then Seth Rollins, who for years was batting back criticisms of being a pale imposter, uh, just stealing, for example, let's say Kenny Omega's stuff, went through every other IWGP champion of the last five years and stole that as well. I got it. I got the gist. I'm oh, like, Nakamura, I'm going to beat you with the high-fly flow. I'm going to beat you with the Rainmaker. I've studied you.
3: Yeah. I, I know what can beat you.
2: No, i got no problem with that. I've got no problem the with any of that. execution well, like, was lacking. What the hell is he doing half of that stuff with when he's supposed to be folded over with a bad back. Pick a lane. He he
3: struggles to pick a lane, and I thought that you could get away with it if the execution was good. I have this weird thing with Seth Rollins where I think he's simultaneously overrated by WWE fans. No, No. Overrated by WWE fans and underrated by people in Twitter snob circles. Who probably don't watch all the time. Yes. Yeah. Like I can never work out how good Seth Rollins is, ultimately. I would classify him as a WWE
2: general, for all that is good and bad about that.
3: Yeah. I've seen him work great matches, too few of them to consider him a modern great, even. Um, But, you know, he's got it in him to do something special, and then he's got this in him, which is the if you want to be generous, three and three quarter stars special. Yeah. Um, and it looks so bad when you've got the Cassidy reign, when you've got the elevated standards and work rate across the board.
2: A three and three quarter that never in a million years could be a four. That gap in that yeah, last quarter start is uh, a, it's a chasm. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's weird.
3: And um, it's he's meant to be the workhorse fighting champion. He's meant to be fashioning this world heavyweight title in his image as the guy who has the great match. Not, unlike Roman, I'll turn up guess what, guys? I'll turn it on. I'm Seth. (laughs) When this was one of those matches where it was pretty hard to pick fault, other than the the sticking-in-the-lane stuff, um, where they did a lot of decent stuff in the right order, and Michael Cole and Corey Graves were adamant about the story they were telling, and they just kept at it and at it and at it. And then every now and then, they would... I thought they did an all right job of telling it as one-dimensional and tell-don't-shows it was because whenever, like, Seth did something wrestling-y, and they're like, oh, you kind of have to use your back for that. <laughs> Corey helps out. Corey would do all right, and yeah. I'm loathe to praise Corey Graves. <laughs> um, but it was methodically paced. It was all very studious. Mm-hmm. It was all very slow burn. And then when he got to those big peaks, not a single person in that audience knew what a rainmaker was, so why bother? You're not well, playing to your crowd. You're not playing to your crowd at all. Nobody bought
2: that. Title change was happening, so it failed on those yeah. teams.
3: So, I, so the three things, I guess, are my takeaways from this match are, one, it was a bit boring and solid and perfunctory and right things in the right order without ever being electrifying or big. So that's one thing. Two, if you're Seth Rollins, and this is pretty bad crowd psychology, you're only going to get two reactions – doing pretty lame executions of, like, the Rainmaker and the High Fly Flow. The High Fly Flow actually looked fantastic. He's got a great frog splash. yeah. Strike that from the record. The Rainmaker was dying. But he had a bad back, so how's that? Yeah. (laughs) The the Rainmaker looked terrible.
2: It didn't scan as a Rainmaker, did it? Yeah, it looked
3: abysmal. Here's what he's going to get from doing that. One, no one in the audience watches New Japan Pro Wrestling, so they're not going to see it as this really cute... WWE doing that callback because they didn't get a reaction whatsoever. Mm. Two, if you're a New Japan fan, you think, well, that's a pale imitation of a movie that <laughs> you cannot do. You are not Kizuka Chukuro So it failed on both fronts, mm. dismally. The third big takeaway is that WWE you can't keep doing this. Like, WWE fans are so much more clever than people give them credit for, and maybe sometimes I've been guilty of that as well. They will not be patronized. They will... Not by this Finn Balor, Seth Rollins series as, oh my God, Finn Balor for seven years has been stewing in his rage and waiting for the right moment to take it out. Yeah. This long simmering frustrations because those matches were not great, realistically. They didn't mm. get great reactions at Money in the Bank and SummerSlam. Yeah. No, then they'll be on no one's match of the year list. Hot two minutes because of the like, Damian Priest teasers. Yes. Yeah. Different like, story to what? Different thing. story to the one they told. And turns out that if you just, in what feels like a lifetime in wrestling for seven years, you just have Shinsuke Nakamura as just a guy. Credit Voices of Wrestling for that phrase, because it's just so succinct and correct. Seven years of him being just there, just existing... And then for a month, you need a B-level pay-per-view challenger, so you decide, right, okay, let's think outside the box and give them a decent presentation. The Fans didn't really care. No. This was a pretty three and three quarter star with a lukewarm reception to it for the vast majority. Doesn't matter how much Michael Cole screams, you cannot turn it on for a month after seven years. It's unacceptable, and the fans told you on the night. Yeah, the best they can do. They're not going to reject you, but they're not going to accept you.
2: As a, I, as, a, as a credible this challenge. This will be on
3: no one's match of the air list. Yeah.
2: I have to, I have have a, like, so, just to
3: sort of... And that's them. what they were going for as well. Seth Rollins is the workhorse champion, and this is the Shinsuke Nakamura that we signed. And, like, to add, Was bit,
2: it? to add a bit of detail to those that didn't see it, like, Seth kicked out the Kinshasa and beat him with a stomp. So if they're going to go back to it, how? Like, that's... <laughs> oh, nah, I'm nah. stronger than your finisher, and you're not stronger than mine. That's... That's as fine a point as you can ever put on a wrestling match. I thought he was
3: motivated for the first time in seven years this time. You can't tell that story again. No. The next few months of Raw look pretty putrid for me.
2: I mean, I I fundamentally disagree and I'm buzzing. But in terms of Seth Rollins' title reign, I'm not seeing
3: uh, this as a success story yet. In terms of the premise of it, it is at least four years too late. Like, at least four years too late for Seth Rollins, who is not one of the best wrestlers in the world, and... You know, that's subjective, I guess, but he isn't to me. And when was the last time he brought the friggin' house down with a crowd reaction? That's what a main event talent should do, and he just doesn't do it. The best thing you could do for him is give him the loser
2: of Gunther versus Gable tonight. Yes. Like, whichever one of them doesn't have the Intercontinental title should just lose upwards into a world title program with yeah. Seth. Give
3: him something to do. I um, think Gunther is still his USP. Yeah.
2: Is the big match guy. Yeah. Um, let us know your thoughts, I suppose, on Payback, which, of course... Conspicuous by his absence, Gunther and Gable, which will take place on Raw tonight. That would have been better
3: for it, and everyone said it. Yeah, uh,
2: that'll be featured in our Raw review tomorrow if we're able to do it. It's still wacky, Simon. Remember, so we're still uh plodging through that, but all normality will be restored in the next sort of few days. Um, If you did get a chance to watch this show, and you weren't distracted by your second screen, or collision, or the punker, or anything else, let us know your thoughts to it in the uh, message on X we'll put with this podcast plugged, where you can also follow us. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at M Sidgwick. You can follow me at Michael Hamflit. You can follow us all at WhatCultureWB. Thank you for spending your time with us today. As we said, the All Out review will also be on your feeds as you listen to this podcast now. And until next time, we will see